welcome back to Trinus Magnus Jabs Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and I've got a little bit of a bee in my bonnet right now. There's a little something, something I want to talk about, and that subject is the Team Negative One Preservation of Star Wars, by which I mean the movie called Star Wars, released in 1977. And before I get too far into the blood and guts of all of that, not only am I going to be talking about Star Wars today, I'm going to be talking about Star Wars with my old friend, Mr. Chris Honeywell of Two True Freaks. Say hello. Hello. So, Chris, I think by now you're probably on the record for being a Star Wars fan par excellence. I don't really think you've got much to prove there. I like Star Wars, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I get to say that at work that you like Star Wars, yeah? Do it right? Yeah, yeah, I like Star Wars. And then I had one guy go, You're one of those Trekkies, right? <laughs> and I go, Actually, the term is Trekker. And no, that's Star Trek. He goes, Same thing. Uh, <laughs> he didn't know. Like, he didn't know the joys of work. Oh, he knows the, knows the difference between Star Trek and Star Wars. He just refuses to acknowledge. <laughs> oh, he's just trying to piss <laughs> There's any off. difference between Star Trek and Star Wars fans. Uh. Yeah. We, were, we were listening to the country music station that day. Oh, wow. If there's anything wrong with the country music that station that day, but talking about somebody from a different... coming from a little different cultural skew than me. <laughs> ah. Well, the... Basically, the uh, what's happened in the past couple of days is... Actually, I don't even think it was in the past couple of days. I think the Team Negative One preservation of Star Wars, it's like it only became kind of a news item in the past couple of days but i it, i didn't That's, that must have been i mean they must have been restoring this movie for years for at least a couple of, you know i mean the man hours involved in it must have been huge so it's been going on probably for a long time yeah what i i didn't you know go balls to the wall with doing like tons of research on this but what i found is that it looks like this project was at least announced on OriginalTrilogy.com. It looks like that was announced sometime back in 2011. And so, do the math. It's 2016. That's a lot of time. Yeah. And basically, you know, as probably many of you know, in 1997, George Lucas released the special editions of Star Wars. And really, since that time, for the most part, the original trilogy, by which I mean the unaltered trilogy really hasn't been available on home video or in any kind of official commercial release. I mean, there was that... There was sort of a limited time only release of... The I have that. I, I, I ran out and bought that. I think I paid... I can't remember what I paid for it, but it was a pretty penny. Yeah. It, I reserved it... At, at, one of the just rare occasions where I went out and reserved a copy of a DVD. I'm not a DVD buyer or collector. I'm not. I, I, I was starting to be, and then I decided that I don't trust any medium yet yeah. <laughs> to become stable to invest money in. But I, I invested in that because I wanted the, the, the original cuts of, and it sort of is, but it's not really, you know. It's 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 still all it's still gussied up and it's still actually altered too. It was cut, you know. A lot of people were very angry over that. That weren't just general audience, you know. People who really wanted basically what we got with the team negative one, which was 
what's a print, uh, a good print of Star Wars before it was, even before it was Star Wars Episode Four. Right. You know, if you want to really get technical in the in the alterations and stuff like that, and uh, and they didn't get it in that, but it was closer. It didn't have all the you know extra scenes and bells and whistles, but it was still cleaned up. And I I don't know exact exactly, but I I would highly suspect it probably has whole s- scenes in it that are that are just like digitally replaced mm-hmm. so they're the same scene but they're not really you know the the model's gone you know the 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 strip of film that was the the shot of the, the single shot of the the model has completely been replaced by a digital copy of it and uh i watched them once and they, it, i watched it once and it sits in my in my room, I should probably pop it up on eBay. It's probably worth something now. Yeah, those things go for a pretty penny on on eBay. But uh, so, except for that sort of brief release, the Unaltered trilogy really hasn't been released on home video since. Basically, you had 1993, mm-hmm. and then there was 1995, and then there was 2006 on DVD, and then that was that's been pretty much it. And so, one of the, I think, kind of apart from the distaste that a lot of people have for the special edition versions of the movie, a lot of people regard the Star Wars trilogy as a sort of technological, cinematic, and kind of cultural watershed in many ways. Yeah. And the attitude that many of them have is that this is something that's worthy of preservation in its original form. Now, when you start talking about Star Wars in its original form, that can be a little bit of a dicey term, because what exactly is that? And different people have different perspectives, and I don't really want to get too much into that, but... You know, whatever that original form, however one quantifies that, has indisputably been absent from home video for quite some time now. And so preservation efforts for from a lot of these, I guess, enthusiasts, at least to start with, I think it was a sort of basic thing of, of transferring Laserdisc over to... Uh, yeah. over to DVD and then just making those things available as free torrents and whatnot. These guys aren't us. <laughs> uh, you know, they're not just your standard nerd who's like really into Star Wars. These guys are people whose career, you know, their careers are in filmmaking and they know the technical, you know, they're, they're tech guys on movies. They've probably all worked on major motion pictures, mm-hmm. probably all have degrees, but they're also Star Wars nerds. And so there, I mean, the amount of, uh, the, uh, this, this whole thing has gotten me back. I, I watched him before a, a few years ago and now I, I'm back watching all of this guy, Mike Verta, who's, uh, doing, uh, uh, preservation of, of Star Wars and watching him, you know, go through one little one section clips at a time. You really see, you know, the, the insane amount of frame by frame work and, and a lot of the time I was assuming that they'd come up with algorithms to take out the little pops and dots. Mm-hmm. And they have, but listening to this guy, they don't really use them that much because they're not as good as going through. And and people who take that job tend to lean towards the anal retentive OCD end. Mm-hmm. 
So they, you know, once they start fixing something and they fix it a certain amount, then they start thinking, well, I might as well fix this 100% right while I'm doing it. And I see this here. And so you end up with not somebody who's just like going into punching the clock and, okay, what movie am I fixing today? All right, I'll get to work on it. You know, you got people who are like in love with this movie and skilled at their... So they're taking probably way more time than, say, um, Lucasfilm would. (laughs) Because it would... A, the expense... If these guys were getting paid for doing... Team Negative was getting paid, there'd be a lot of money invested in this restoration. Yeah. You know, as it is, there's a lot of time and and man hours, you know, a lot of of money on paper. Right, Um, yeah, and if if they were getting paid, I mean, that's a small fucking fortune. And... uh One of the things that I've noticed, and I'm guilty of this myself, is it's like, I mean this in, in a very literal sense, it's like the the way that people envision Star Wars really has changed over the years. And it's actually to the point now where people, even with the original trilogy, they when you say Star Wars trilogy, what they think of... And, and I'm speaking here in terms of that sort of shiny remaster type of thing, just the way the shit looks. What they think of is the 2004 DVD and the 2011 Blu-ray, which are really, they're kind of the same thing because they come from the same master. And so they look very similar to one another. And that sort of high contrasty, ultra colorful, too colorful, depending on how, you know, what your standards are, too colorful sort of from what style. I've seen in the Blu-ray of like clips from the Blu-ray and stuff it's almost unwatchable but not almost it is it is in fact in my opinion unwatchable yeah it's 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 so sad that you know Star Wars which has been known as the cutting edge of of technology special effects and care put into it mm-hmm. would you know I mean Obviously, it's somebody with a hacky color, with a hacky view of a color palette, you know, and it, it, it almost strikes, it reminds me of when I first started using Photoshop. Now, now, mind you, I've, I, I went to film school. I was not strong on the technical side of it. You know, when it got down to, you know, when we take our, um, our three quarter inch video cameras, and plug them into the, you know, oscilloscope to color time them all right and correctly. I had a hard time with that stuff. I had a, a, whereas there were other people who grasped it immediately and were experts at it. Um, So I have a lot of respect for that, but I have an understanding of the basic principles of it. Mm -hmm. And I know that when you first start tweaking things and when I would first started editing video on my computer where I could play with the actual picture, Mm -hmm digitally and um and stuff like that that's what i would tend to do is is i would um you know edge towards the high contrast and the lurid you know bright beautiful oh these look beautiful yeah it's almost garish colors yeah garish and it uh, and when you're doing it it almost looks great while you're doing it but then you know you put it all together and it ends up really you wouldn't think so and maybe to the average viewer not so but it changes the whole feel of everything Mm -hmm. and um 
I personally, now that I've watched the Team Negative, seen a, a film print of it, I'm even more not a fan of like the digital, you know, the DVD releases where they they strike the digital copy off a negative. Mm-hmm. It you 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 don't end up with the degradation that that film has, which sounds bad, but in it, it kind of puts the life into the film, uh, or a lot of life into the film. I want to take you know credit from the actors and the directors and the sound people and stuff like that. But boy, the look of Star Wars was very important to the appeal of it when it came out, and I haven't seen a Star Wars that looked like I saw it in the theater till just last week. Yeah, and in relation to that, I mean, look, guys, just, I guess, full disclosure here, I wasn't even born when Star Wars came out. I wasn't born when Empire came out. I was born when when Return of the Jedi came out and even had a chance to see it, but uh, I basically the night that, you know, my, the plan, the night that we were all going to go see it, uh, my dad and my two brothers were out somewhere or other, maybe going out to eat or something like that, and I was hanging around the house with my mom, and, you know, the plan was we were all going to hop in the car, me and my mom were, and then go meet with them, then we'd go see the movie. That was the plan. What we didn't count on was a fucking tornado coming to town. And so we were just sort of separated from one another. I ended up having to batten down the hatches and and just stay home that night. Me and my mom did. And so as a result, we didn't, you know, my one opportunity to actually see Return of the Jedi in theaters. And I didn't, it, it's just, you know, I'm sorry, Mother Nature kind of got in the way of that. So act of God. Yeah, pretty much. That's how, yeah. And so I was raised on cable broadcasts and VHS home video releases and all of that stuff. And so as enjoyable as some of those might have been, they're not really the way the movie looked in theaters. And that's something I've always been very keenly aware of, you know, but for as distant as those might have been from what was seen in, in theaters, they were, you know, they, I, I guess you could say they were somewhat close, or at least closer than, say, the 2004 DVDs, which looked, I don't give a shit what anybody says, that looks nothing at all like the way those movies looked in theaters. I knew that the minute I watched them. And I just kind of resigned myself that, you know, even those 2006 DVDs, those reissues of the original, re, uh, of the original trilogy, even that is an approximation that wasn't really it either it's just the like i say the best that we've had so far and then watching watching this team negative one thing i mean look people have been talking all kinds of shit about how awesome you know certain restorations and preservations and whatnot are like one th- and i'm not trying to talk shit to or about harmy but one of the things that harmy has done the preservationist harmy one of the things that he's done is basically despecialize the special edition. Yes, and and I mean he did. I mean, that was one of the first attempts at this that I've ever gotten a hold of. I think Scott Gardner let, was the one who hit me to to the, the despecialized editions, or it may have even been an earlier version of the despecialized editions. But I've been keeping up with them, and they're wonderful. They were they were wonderful, but. 
the, and the thing about Harmy is, and God bless him, he's doing it. He's doing it legit. You know, he's he's got permissions and stuff, but that limits him to stuff like the, you know, Blu-rays and the DVDs and the laser discs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But he's really good. He just got hired by a company to to work for him restoring films. So he's 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 getting some career juice out of it. I think he probably already has a career with his skills probably to start out with. But it's really funny. I did I was trying to do research on him. I couldn't find any I know he's from like a Norwegian sort of um, country by his accent. But they never say. I haven't seen anything that like had enough of a bio of him to tell say what country he's from. I don't know if he's purposely trying to obscure that. I don't see how you could. But it, but I, I, anyway, he he does a great job. But in doing it legit, he still can't get you know that original foot. You know the original footage, and it's di- it's it's different and. I mean, it all comes down to legal, um, legal hassles because, and that's where Team Negative One is sort of going uh, awry in the community right now. Yes, thirty-five millimeter prints are never yours. You can't own a thirty-five millimeter print of a movie. You can. It's on sort of permanent loan, but don't ever think you won't. They're they're rentals. And and I read an you know in an article about it. I read an interesting thing about how like the the original um, video store rental copies of Star Wars are these huge sought-after collector's editions, but you can't sell them because <laughs> they still belong to Fox. Yes. So you have to you have to be sneaky about it and be like, well, I'm renting these to you in perpetuity. But if 20th Century Fox wants them back, you got to give them back to them, you know? And it's the same goes for a 35 millimeter print. So, so having access to a 35 millimeter print to play with, to get these scenes from, and if you and doing a restoration of a, uh, like if you wanted to do a really pure Star Wars restoration print, you'd probably want a whole bunch of prints, because some prints will be in better shape in certain areas. Mm-hmm. Some prints might be more complete. Whatever, you want to sort of composite it. Um, if you're going for true me, I don't care. I'm just, I'm for my own viewing. I'm happy to just see like someone gets a good print, cleans it up for the most part. And, and like they did on, on this one, they left a little of the scratches and the cigarette burns and stuff on there. Yes. Just enough to make it like you're seeing it in the theater. That's you, you never saw a cherry print of a movie that was perfectly without any flaws on it and so it just became part of your viewing experience in the theater up until very recently right and uh, there's no more cigarette marks anymore no sometimes you'd even hear a little boop before you know the reel would change and like it it changes the whole you can in in just for example in the in the print the 35 millimeter uh team negative version of it which you know i'm watching it and i'm in my thrall of reliving you know 77 and then it gets to the scene right before the real change and it comes back 
with the scene of 3PO being lowered into the oil bath going, oh, this oil, you know, bath is good. It feels so good. And he's getting lowered into it. You see the cigarette burn before that scene. Then there's like probably almost a whole second of black. Yes. Just black. Yes. And then, oh, this oil bath will feel so good. It's a, a very typical of the time real change on a movie. Um, and I remember seeing stuff like that when I was a kid in movies. And, and there's, this, yeah. there's this authenticity to it. That it you, was how it worked. Yeah. And, and, and that, that line in the movie theater got a huge laugh. It was always a big, you know, funny, funny. It was very funny to people. And that black was part of the beat and the timing of it and everything. And that's been gone for 30 some years, you know, 30 years. And when I saw that again, it just that was when I was officially sold on that forever. You know, I was just like, oh, my God, this does make a difference. This might be part partially me being nostalgic mm -hmm. and wanting to relive my own experience. Mm -hmm. But the more I watched it and, you know, I was a little cynical about like vinyl coming back and stuff like that. But I'm noticing vinyls coming back. This is sort of spurring interest in prints of the film. Quentin Tarantino puts out his new movie in 70 millimeter and strikes prints of it. Um, tentpole movies are showing as a badge of honor that they're using practical effects again. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought, ah, it's sort of trending nostalgia. I'm glad for it because I like all those things preferable to, you know, the cold, cool visual vi video, but I'm starting to think there's a lot to it. There's a lot to them, be to those to those analog formats being superior in the way we experience. Maybe we've gotten to the point of where we don't have to get any higher definition. We might have even gone a little too high definition to make the you know to to that's that's needed, you know. Mm -hmm. And it almost looks too good. It looks wrong. It doesn't work within the thing. Maybe, and I was thinking, well, maybe we'll get used to it. This will become the new standard, and we'll just start working within this format. And, you know, but now I'm thinking, yeah, maybe not. Maybe, maybe we'll, maybe we'll start working stuff in super high video, and then notching it down and adding grain to it, and and doing that to make it work on our brains on a more organic level. Yeah. And you know, like the, th well, the thing about it was I never even heard of team negative one. Cause I've kind of backed away from the whole preservation community. Cause let's face it. I mean, that is a little bit of a rabbit hole and it goes really fucking deep. I'm, I'm but, circling it right now though. Now that I got interested and in, yeah. And for that reason, I've been staying away from it. Yeah. And it's just it, it can get so esoteric after a while, you know, but when but you, so my I guess my first awareness of the team negative one preservation came when somebody posted it on the two true freaks page on Facebook last week. And somebody said, hey, you know, did have you guys seen this? Because this looks this looks kind of interesting. It's not just somebody's bastardized laser disc or DVD. This is a fucking print of the movie. Yeah. And so I, I, I guys, I'm just going to come right out and say it. All right. I was skeptical 
about that because of the fact that I know, I mean, I'm not an expert by any means, but I know enough to know that I know enough when it comes to film prints and stuff. And those things are fragile as all fuck. And, and Star Wars prints got the hell played out of them. Yeah. They didn't sit and languish. They sat in the theater playing every day, three times a day for months and months and months. Yeah, and it wasn't – yeah, and that's the other thing. I mean, Maybe even a year in some cases because, guys, it, the way things oh, were yeah. back then, it wasn't like the way that it is now where, you know, if you have a uh, – like a movie theater these days, there could easily be, you know, 10, 20, 30 uh, – screens playing a bunch of different things and it's all being digitally pro uh, projected but back in the day you might have a movie theater that has one screen or two screens and star wars is all they're showing and they may have shown it depending on the movie theater for a year in some cases and after but a they would year, show and they would keep a movie there as long as they were filling the seats if they kept filling the seats that movie sat there and i remember being, scott gardner and i used to celebrate every week or so because the ads were like now playing for you know week 53 star wars at the cinema and we'd be just like yeah still there <laughs> yeah and it's it's kind of a great thing you know for you know the burgeoning fandom at the time that this was something that they could experience again and again and again mm -hmm. but every time they're experiencing it that pr that print is being put through the the projector over and over and over, and this is not necessarily a super high quality process. That uh, it's not a it's it, it is a it's a wonder that it doesn't just shred every movie <laughs> put into it through all the gears and things that it has to go to. There's so much that can go wrong. One little piece of dust falls into one little shutter gate and it starts making those little lines. And yeah, it's it's just a it just and you're shining a bright, bright light through plastic that and, you know, the 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 stereotypical all oh, the film stopped and then you see it burn through. Yeah. Well, all film is almost on the edge of burning through almost all the time. It's yeah. just one or two seconds away from, you know, stopping the the movement of it to where it'll that light is so bright. So that light passing through the film is doing damage to the color, you know, to the pigments on the film. It's actually degrading the actual plastic, you know, cellulose in the film. Well, it actually probably isn't cell wasn't cellulose by Star Wars, but you know, the the actual film is getting weakened every time. So there's just everything's going on chemically as time goes on. It's it's changing into, you know, the it it's just very impermanent. <laughs> yeah, this isn't necessarily made to last. And so imagine my surprise when I got when, when I finally started watching this thing. And you know, look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that this is in any way comparable to a modern day DVD presentation or Blu-ray because it's not. But it's actually, in a weird kind of way, like Chris was saying a while ago, it's actually kind of better mm -hmm. for that because of the fact that, number one, there's the the film grain and all the other things that we talked about, and I'll be coming back to that in just a second. But, you know, the other thing is they spent – they didn't go overboard with it, but whoever engineered this thing, you know, the powers that be with Team Negative One, they spent – enough time 
cleaning this thing up and and whatever imperfections this print might have had, they took out some of them. But it really is just to watch it. It's like looking at a at the film projected on a movie screen because you'll see those little pinprick holes, the, the the cigarette burns that you mentioned. You'd get the occasional line kind of bouncing around on on the frame once in a while. And none of it's distracting, but all of it works towards this kind of elaborate illusion that this is, in fact, a real film projection of the movie. And it looks amazing. And what I what I remember saying on the Two True Freaks uh, page is with a, a, a few nips and tucks here and there, I mean, you, there's still some work that would need to be done. But fundamentally, this is not that far away from a commercial-grade release in terms of video quality. And right. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting this to look like, you know, shit just came out of the sewer, right? And well, it I, was, I was sort of and, – and I was looking forward to seeing it this way, but it wouldn't have been my go-to version to watch it if they had just – and I've heard there's a version called The Empire Strikes Back Grindhouse Edition – where it is just a straight up untouched copy of a of a of a well used faded scratched uh empire strikes back which would be fun to watch cuz i have seen some beat up copies of star wars and empire strikes back but it wouldn't be my go to i wouldn't want to watch it all the way like that i like this because this is just it's just so clearly with in mind that we want to recreate that theater experience. No, no, it's, it's 22 gigs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's huge. We're told no it's 22 extra. gigs. We don't actually know that from having it on our hard drives. We just, I've, uh, I've heard that it's 22. The gigs. story is it's 22 gigs. And, but there's no like menus. There's no bonus features. There's no like feature where you can watch it with the the mono soundtrack or this soundtrack or that you know, which a lot of them have, which are cool. But I like it. Just it's it has that archival quality of like, yeah, we could add the bells and whistles, but this is just what it is. It, it you know, I'm really looking forward to at some point. And I wish I had a really high quality video projector mm -hmm. to see this projected fairly close to movie size with a really good projector because it would hold up being that size of a file. Looks, you know, it's going to look good on your, your high def computer screen or whatever, but like uh, I would I would love to be able to see that film grain swimming in its actual theater, close to its theater size. That's another thing about being a film student, and I and I remember not believing um, my animation teacher when he was saying, "Yeah, if you do animation long enough, or if you do film editing long enough, you can you can watch a movie and see the individual frames." Mm -hmm. I was just like, "Daz, whatever. That would drive you nuts." And um, and it's been so long. And and then after a while, I realized what he said because I would do animation and stuff. But then I just sort of chalked it up to, well, you know, I animated each frame so my brain can put it together like that or whatever. That's how I see it. But watching this again, 
And having it be so long since I've seen a movie in that sort of format, every once in a while you'll catch old, like, obscure horror movies that are direct prints of a of a regular film that hasn't been fixed up because there just isn't the money to it and that's all they have and that's the only way you're getting it. But you don't see that with major releases. No. And so I'm watching it and it was in the first, you know, first ten minutes of the movie – first few minutes of the movie when you're in the hallway with where princess leia gives r2 the information and i'm watching you know the blue highlights and red highlights on the walls and i can see the film grain on it Mm -hmm. as soon as i start focusing on the film grain boom it's going frame by frame i can almost hear it go as i if you look at the this is so like nerdy and specific, but you, if you if you focus in on the on the places where it's a solid color, and blues and blacks and grays are always really good, you'll see that grain. You'll see the series of blobs, and they're they're an actual, you know, chemical process put those blobs there. So every frame is different. Mm-hmm. So you see the blobs just sort of going. Mm-hmm. and swimming but it's a sort of it's got a little chop to it and and then i realized oh geez here we go that's why this is totally different it's putting it's even if you're watching it on your video screen which is flashing 30 frames per second that grain is making it 24 frames per second totally changes the way your brain processes the the image Video image, 30 frames per second interlaced, induces trance-like state. 24 frames per second projected is a, is more of a strobe and produces more of a dreamlike state, you know, when they measure your brain waves. Mm-hmm. Big difference. I don't know. With digital, I, I'm, I highly suspect when you go to the movies these days for digital project, projection <clears throat> that they're doing the artificial... 24 frames per second to give you that film feel because it, it it still feels like it still it doesn't feel like a video image you know you know how you could tell when watching tv something that was shot on film and something that was shot directly on video and and i know with most um you know digital video cameras you have a setting set it to 24 frames per second instantly it has a more cinematic you know, feeling to it. So I, I automatically set my, di- when I got my digital camera, I set it to that and I knew it was never coming off that. Mm-hmm. And this, this gives it that. And it's, it's just a completely different experience. And, and I'm, and, and it's interesting to me that it's more enjoyable to you too, seeing as how that, that lends a little credence to it not being nostalgia, you know, because what you, what are you having? To, you're not having any nostalgia for seeing Star Star Wars in '77. No, your nostalgia would be like swimming around in your dad's ball sack. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's what would make you nostalgic. Yeah. Well, the I guess the the come to Jesus moment on all of this. I mean, pretty much right from the start, I was on board with this and I thought I didn't need to see anything else. I mean, that little, that little sequence on uh, the 10 T four corridor with, with uh, Vader and Leia and they're having it out and everything. And I Mm -hmm. thought, well, 
okay, I'm on board with this. I don't need to see anything else. This is awesome, right? And it turned out, no, actually, that wasn't it. The moment that I was truly on board now with what this thing was doing, there's this kind of glory shot of R2 and 3PO in the very next sequence. They're wandering around outside of the crashed escaped po- uh, escape pod. And mm-hmm. they're just kind of jabbering back and forth and they're doing their thing. And I have seen, I mean, that's, you know, I think, I don't know this to be true, but I would think that that was one of the memorable shots of the film from oh, yeah. way back when. And it holds up even now. You know, if you see it on, you know, DVD or Blu-ray or whatever else, you know, it looks clean. And it, I, the, again, the colors are way oversaturated, but I still think you can get the basic effect of it. You know, seeing seeing it here with the Team Negative One print scan and you've got all of this glorious grain and it's so much more noticeable because of the fact that it's an out it's an exterior shot it's in the desert there's this dust and sand and shit blowing around and that it's like that contrasts the grain even more it's like it darkens the the little grain blobs even more it makes it even more noticeable yeah yeah and that oh, actually yeah. works to the shot's benefit i think because it gives it that extra grit you know? yeah well well, the grit was such a big part of Star Wars. I mean, Star Wars came in that like 1977 was the was about the end of that trend of gritty 70s, you know, Dirty Harry. You know, there were a lot of gritty, gritty ass 70s movies, you know, or that, that had a lot of bit of grit and dirt to them. And Star Wars was at the tail end of that, you know, and in the 80s, it became a more sort of cleaned up, processed look. And when I've seen the the, the cleaned up DVD versions of Star Wars, it just doesn't it takes, look right. It takes, it takes that grit out. Yeah. <clears throat> Characters, you can see the makeup on their face and their, their outfits are clearer. So their outfits actually look cleaner and less used. So you're seeing an actual more of the reality of what was happening there as opposed to the illusion onto the as opposed to the illusion that there was being created by filming what was there. Yeah. And, um, you know, they they take into account or they when you're shooting on film, you take into account that not only are you shooting it and you're going to make a negative of what you see while you're there, but you're going to have to take that negative and make a second generation copy on the, you know, for the, the print. Yeah. And you're going to lose a little bit of brightness. You're going to lose, you're going to, you know, the grain's going to come up. You're going to, you're going to lose all this stuff. It's, you're going to lose a tiny bit of focus, all sorts of things. So you, you compensate for that when you're filming and, so you end up so you start out with a brighter higher contrast so maybe with the you know like the blu-rays when they went towards the higher contrast they were like you know maybe they were very scientifically sound and being like this is what the negative recorded but the negative was recording that to overdo it a little bit it's when, when to get even more technical when i was at film school we used to have this it was SMA 80, I think it was called. It was a Super 8 film, and it was a it was a reversal process, which means you had no negative for it. It was you you shot on the Super 8, and then you took it in, 
they 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 ran it through the processor and you got that same reel of film back with your image on it and uh so no no negative required and it was made for back in the days when video cameras were too bulky to take out for news people and they would take out this and it shot this very um oversaturated super pastelly bit of film you know that 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 looks maybe like a really old movie or you know old faded technicolor or something mm-hmm. but it, it it came out that they made it that way because when they transfer in the crappy vi- uh, film the video transfer that they would have to do immediately to get it out on the news that night would would soak all those would soak all those colors and all the brightness out of it so then it would look fairly normal once when you com- it was made to be converted to video and uh that was just the nature of working with film and nowadays you know you can shoot you could be shooting with your digital cameras have a monitor right there that's the same that's going to show you what's going to show on the, the theater screen when they when they project it or in in the editing deck it's all going to be the same thing mm-hmm. and and now they can compensate to that now if you want to make things dirtier you could throw some more actual real dirt on it and it'll look dirtier but that's not how they filmed it in 77 so i like that these people are paying attention to the context of when it was made and and making and you know i mean i understand lucas's intentions of keeping and and even the cleaning up and oversaturating of the star wars i i thought maybe was to get it more in line with the visual look of the prequels Mm -hmm. so when yeah probably kids watch all six movies it has a little more cohesiveness to it and like where they would take out whole whole um practical effects and then just replace them with digital effects i think that was also just just to give it more cohesiveness with the fully digital um and i understand that i'm i'm actually fine with that i just want the option (laughs) not to see all that i want uh, i i i want the museum piece in there to see because i'm a museum piece i guess and and I mean, I think that's important. I think it, I think you 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 bleed some of the context away if you keep updating it and updating it. You know, I mean, why would you want to take Gone with the Wind and you know start digitally doing it to make it look like a modern movie? That's just silly, you know. And I think Star Wars being the pop culture phenomena, it is people in general just don't think of it much as something that you'd want to you know preserve in its uh, original state or even as a piece of film history when in fact it's like a huge piece of film history it's an amazingly important piece of film history but people just don't think of it that way well except for us you know the the the, the nerds and and the archivists and, and stuff, but the general population is, this is star Wars, you know? Yeah. Well, there was a, I, I saw star Wars, the movie star Wars, uh, when it was re-released as the special edition, I went to see that in 1997 and cause that was really the priority for me. If I could make it at the time, you know, my attitude was if I can make it to the other two, that's, you know, good. I'd like to do that. But really, 
there's always been something about this first Star Wars movie that's just captivated my imagination. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'd go so far as to say it's my favorite, but for some reason I can never take my eyes off it, you know? And I went to see it. I always say Empire is the best, but Star Wars is my favorite. Yeah, and that's probably not a bad way to to put it. And I went to see it in 1997, and I, I could not have put it into words at the time, but I was experiencing, when I saw it, I was experiencing this weird cognitive dissonance a little bit and it god knows it got worse with the 2004 DVD version and it really wasn't until recently that I was able to actually really put my finger on what exactly my problem was with all of these remasters and upgrades and special editions and all that stuff if you listen to just the the score from Star Wars mm-hmm. as much as I like it it's powerful this is some of John Williams' career best material, right? I, there's a very strong argument. He's never really like taught. career defining, yeah, yeah. And that time period in John Williams is just like the most fertile zone of soundtrack music. Agreed. And there's a very strong argument. He never really topped that 1977 Star Wars score. I mean. It's it's completely eye of the beholder, but there are people out there who really do believe that. This was the man's creative zenith. And he did other stuff after that that was interesting, not quite to the same level. And I leave that to the experts, but what I'll say, though, is that for as good as that score is, just from a technical kind of engineering production point of view, it's a little bit tinny. You know, the the instrumentation and the recording techniques... It doesn't sound quite like – I know it's the the London Symphony Orchestra that performed this. It mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily sound like the London Symphony Orchestra. You listen to the, to the score from Empire, and it sounds big and full and lush, and there's yeah. all, all of these dynamics and stuff that are going on. And you listen to the original Star Wars score, it sounds – I don't know how to – it's almost lo-fi. Well, yep. they didn't have they didn't put the time probably into it that they put into Empire because they didn't that that you know I mean they were pressed for time and pressed for money, so they were probably trying to get the best that they could out of it. But you know by the time Empire came around, it was Star Wars was taken very seriously, and I'm sure the the microphones and the time spent on the soundtrack and everything was immediately just beefed right up, you know, and... And that's my guess. And the thing is, if you watch this kind of... If you watch the movie with this sort of lo-fi score and this really slick, highly polished, colorful, ultra-saturated, deep, dark blacks, crushed blacks in some cases, going, there's this weird, fucked-up cognitive dissonance that, that happens where what you're hearing doesn't really match what you're seeing in a weird yeah. kind of way. And that is a complete non-issue with the Team Negative One scan in that for the first time that I can ever remember, this is probably old hat for you, but for the first time that I can remember, the film looks now the way it sounds. And it's got that mm-hmm. that sort of visual equivalent of lo-fi yeah, that's already there in the musical score. Now it looks that way too, and it hit me as I was watching all of this. And again, it really came home when I watched that that sort of glory shot of three PO and R two standing outside of the escape pod. This is what I want from Star Wars right now. You know, all of that 
you know, fa- fancy schmancy CGI, just fucking bullshit in other movies or God knows in other Star Wars films. That's maybe interesting unto itself. That's not to me what Star Wars needs to be anymore. To me, I want to see the models. I want to see the rubber masks. I want to see the, mm-hmm. the film grain. I want to see the kind of shitty photography, not shitty photography, but that's that very film projection type of quality to it. You know, that to me is what Star Wars needs to be. What put what put the final nail in the coffin of like I'm done with the special editions, because I mean the special editions were a great curiosity when they started because they were using cutting edge digital to to perk it up and I wanted to see what he did and it was amusing at first but I was like it does definitely you know I'm it's I, novelty it definitely wasn't yeah it was definitely a novelty and didn't improve on things but that was a while ago that was ninety seven. And now it looks like all the stuff that they put in there looks crappy because CGI has gone way beyond that. Although, you know, even so, he's even re-CGI'd over his past CGI. Yeah. But what really set, made me go, I don't ever want to really see it again unless I'm doing research to check the, the differences is uh, when they were going into the cantina and you've got the dewback standing in the background. Oh, and I was yeah. just like, and I was just like, oh yeah, there's that dewback, and I and I'm like thinking to myself, okay, I'm gonna look at that dewback, because now it's not digital, and see see what it was doing, because I I always thought that they just sort of stood up a model of it there, and just walked them by, but no, that model was moving its head a little bit, you know, there was someone behind it moving its head, and you could see sort of like, you know, a little bit of sway to it, but just subtly. Yes. And it's there in the background and it's just there. And they were like, let's move this a little bit just to get, you know, it might be imperceptible to people who are and not paying attention the first few times they watch it. But let's just put it in there. Your brain will pick it up. And um, but when you look at the, the special editions that do backs like going and it's rolling its eyes and it's got the tongue you know, hanging out. And... Yeah. And it's it's doing a million things and it's drawing attention to itself, which is not what that stuff was about in the early Star Wars. It was just there and it was made. So like when you're in the third time in the movie, you could relax and just go, I'm just going to look, you know, I know what Luke's doing right now. I'm going to see what those two stormtroopers in the background are doing now, you know, or I'm, I'm going to watch and see if that, you know, and look at the little creatures running around and stuff like that. It w- but it was they were not drawing their your attention to them. You know, the, your attention was always on the main source of things. And by the time the special editions came out, everything, you know, just the urge to add things made it just swimming with with things vying for your attention and it ta- it it ruins the mood it just completely ta- takes you away from the main thrust you know the the thing about and the the reason i think the force awakened worked so well with audiences is it just kept thrusting you forward you know and and keeping you focused on what was going on with the main characters at that time and keeping it moving. And Star Wars does the same thing. You're always um, watching one of the the restoration videos with Mike Ver- Verda. 
that it's at the beginning of the throne room when they're walking down the stairs and it's all a big matte painting, you know, and a composite of, a, of groups of people. The people in the extreme foreground are painted in very, very roughly, you know, basically flesh colored blobs for faces and just two or three color swatches deftly put down into the shapes of guys in coats and in jackets and and pants i never noticed it till he pointed it out i knew that most of that was a matte painting but since you're so focused on you know luke han and chewy walking down the the center of the screen it's just right on your peripheral and i've never thought of those being painted people i always thought of the all the people in the in the background of that picture being painted and uh, they, they totally got I mean, they got away with that for 30 years with me until somebody pointed it out who'd been going over it frame by frame. So, you know, how how much better is that than having a per, having perfectly rendered CG people who are moving and sh- shifting their weight and stuff like that? Well, the other thing is that that the best example of sort of CGI trickery in Star Wars, the film, is probably going to be the entrance into Mos Eisley. And Ugh. it's only, you know, when you start watching this, you know, again, there's this cognitive dissonance that happens when what you're, it, except now it's what you're seeing doesn't really match what you're seeing and certainly not what you're familiar with. And what you realize is Mos Eisley in the special edition is is kind of like in a weird kind of way i'd almost want to compare it to harlem where you've got all these kind of sh- sketchy characters wandering around and yeah you're in the uh, uh, yeah you can just yeah the wrong side of town yeah it's, but it, it's a big town. town you know yeah and you watch the original and what you realize is you know this isn't sort of Mar- you know 70s era harlem this is instead more like an old west kind of border town and there's mm-hmm. not that many people running around, but the few people there are are all fucking killers, right? Uh, yeah, That's- or it's it's like one of those weird, you know, it's like one of the mark, market, it, it, like in in an Indiana Jones movie, you're in Saudi Arabia in a market full of people who are conning, you know, pulling cons, selling their wares, and assassins running around. Yeah, it's it's got a very forties sort of feel to it you know and that and that works with you know the budget that that lucas had to mess with and Mm -hmm. that that you know that he was working with and the style of the uh, of the film it there's a because it's kind of old westy already to begin with yeah and so to have yet another sort of visual nod back to old west type of film uh filmmaking there's a there's a a weird authenticity to that that you know it's uh this sort of floating car hovering around through this old west town and yet your imagination doesn't short out because the metaphor is so perfect and the visuals are so perfect somehow it all gels together in your imagination and it works it you only start seeing the cracks in things whenever they try to fix it they try to improve it and then all of a sudden you realize this First off, this is an illusion, and second off, it's a very thinly crafted illusion. And if yeah. it's a, it's a house of cards, and if you take one of them out, the whole thing comes tumbling down, and now it it just doesn't work anymore. Whereas before, it 
it worked only because you didn't really think about it. The minute you start thinking about it, no, it doesn't fucking make any sense at all. What the hell am I watching? You know? Well, they had to do they had to do all of Moss Eisley with camera angles and being and just being smart about how they filmed things to make it look bigger and more active than it was. You know, kept that, you know, for the for the most part, they kept the camera in close and 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 kept the camera angled down or, or filled with people and stuff and then had a lot of people moving around and, and walking in and out of frame. And it worked 100 percent. The thing about Moss Eisley is that one scene going in, you know, the the is is one of the sketchier scenes in in Star Wars, you know, with, uh, or from the original point of view. They that was one of the trickier scenes to film. The land speeder was just like fucking with them left and right, you oh, know, yeah. trying to get that to look right, and it it looks a little it looks almost like a really nice like. Mobius style piece of animation when it happens when with that scene where the the speeder's speeding away from you and sort of goes down a hill a little and up into Moss Eisley it's got a very animated look to it because they had to heavily process it to get it to work and and the shadow under it is very you know artificial looking it's like kind of airbrushed in mm. and stuff but the overcompensate instead of just cleaning it up all the overcompensation they did with it with little critters running out of the way and stuff it just it it called more attention to the problems of it and it actually screwed it up worse it it was almost like somebody trying to cover up a bad tattoo with a worse tattoo with a bigger worse more complicated tattoo yeah and uh and it and it didn't work and and seeing it again, it was just like, oh, thank God. <laughs> there it is in all its sort of like... Kind of hazy glory. Hazy, yeah. hazy, weird glory. There's a different kind of light than when they, they actually pull in and stuff. And, but it's over so fast that even if you're like, yeah, that's kind of sketchy, it's gone. It's done. And and we're and the story is still moving forward. So, it, yeah, I mean... The, the special editions are – I, I understand what he was doing, but it, at the same time, they're kind of embarrassing, you know? And we'll only get more so as time goes on because – Yeah. Look, here's the thing. I mean, end of the day, no matter how well done your computer-generated stuff is – or hell, fuck it. Um, no matter how well done your effects – shot is no matter what technique you used if it's rubber masks or models on wires or cgi or just whatever it is that you're doing no matter how well done that is the day is going to come when technology is so far ahead of that it's going to look by whatever modern standards are at that moment a little cheesy and you cannot future proof your movie to the degree that i think george right. lucas wanted to and I don't know if he was, I think he was just planning on layering over it and layering over it until eventually who knows what you would have had, you know? Yeah. And you know, maybe maybe you're right. I don't know. But end of the day, it's just it's not the big deal that he was making it out to be. And honestly, you know, as far as the Team Negative One thing is concerned, and we can get into the controversy of Team Negative One in just a minute, but <clears throat> As far as Team Negative One is concerned, the one – this isn't even a gripe, but like the one minor quibble that I've got with it is that 
the movie itself looks great, but the I guess the soundtrack of the movie, and I don't mean the music, I mean the sound that you hear in the film. It's taken from the 2006 DVDs that you and I were talking about just a while yeah. ago. And I think I think that was why I noticed when they're in the chasm and there's the echo, I was like, that wasn't in the original movie. That was uh, that was something I remember getting added to it and being like, no, that's not working, George. That's it's that's really badly done, too. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the only thing that stuck out of this movie that was not like the 77 experience. And I don't know for the life of me why they didn't just like clip it out of an earlier release and, and take out the echo. I could have taken out the echo in, you know, in audacity or addition, <laughs> you know, I could have, I could have teased out that audio, but either way, it was a minor, minor thing, but that was my dead giveaway that something was not right with the soundtrack. Yeah. And you know, the thing is what I've basically what I remember reading, and this is years ago now, but what I remember reading is that, Star Wars as a film was released in something like six tracks around sound in like, I want to say like two, maybe three theaters in 1977. Mm -hmm. And so the powers that were at Lucasfilm, they threw something together, but the, the six tracks surround sound was never the definitive audio presentation of Star Wars. Mono was, mono was at that time, I think, pretty much. Yeah. And, you know, there were a fair number of stereo theaters, but mono was... Ben Burt went on record and saying that the mono soundtrack of that movie is what something like 95 percent of audiences in 1977 were going to hear. And, and so that's where like almost 100 percent of their attention went. And I've wanted to right. listen to that. At and, first, I, at first, I was like resistant to that. I heard people talking about it like, oh, you know what? The Holy Grail is, is the original mono mix. And I was like, ah, I don't care. But then after I watched it and saw that what the, you know, film and film grain effect did to me, I started thinking, you know, I might be scoffing at that, but now I really want to hear it to see <laughs> if, well, there, that, if, that, if that same difference, if when I hear it, I go, oh, my God, that's right. <laughs> well, even if it, it doesn't sound drastically different, and I wouldn't imagine that it does, but no, even but, if it doesn't sound drastically different. The six-track surround sound and the the Dolby stereo soundtrack, they came and they went. And honestly, end of the day, who cares? The mono soundtrack won fucking Oscars, you know? Right, right. And to me, you know, this is a movie that won Oscars for editing and Oscars for effects. I want to hear the sound that won Oscars, too. Yes. And even if it's not that different from what we're already familiar with, I still want to hear that original mono soundtrack well i'll say this it might oh it might be so slightly different it's almost you can't put your finger on it you know but even that might be all the difference it takes to completely change the experience you know what i mean it's it's sort of like the same with the film i can put my finger on what the film does that makes it feel like it was then but they're just they're they're minor things. They're they're sort of slight things that most people really wouldn't care about or notice. But you subconsciously pick it up and your brain interprets it all the time and it 
so important to what it adds to your overall feeling of what you get and your experience of it. I'm really into, I really want people to start doing this with like, oh, there's somebody mentioned Close Encounters. I was thinking Alien would look beautiful. I had two. I had two movies, maybe three, but definitely two that I want to get this type of treatment. The first one is the first Godfather movie. The second one, if I can get that, fine, but I don't really care. I want that that first Godfather movie, though. And the other one is Jaws. Jaws would be beautiful. Well, can you just imagine, you know, all the, the black films... hole. hole would be gorgeous. Well, and it just kind of makes you wonder, you know, we're moving into an era now where it's not enough. Like back in the 80s and arguably somewhat into the 90s, it was enough that a movie was on VHS. And then you start getting into the late 90s and early 2000s. It was enough that a movie be on DVD and maybe towards the beginning of the 2000s, it had to be the movie and then also a shit ton of extras. Lately, it seems like the pendulum has been swinging towards sort of historical authenticity. Where, look, if you can get yeah. a director's commentary, that's great, whatever. What I want is the original soundtrack. And our, there's this special edition, like 35th or 40th or some odd shit, I don't remember, DVD release of Jaws, and it's got this badass, brand new 5.1 surround sound mix of Jaws that I've never once listened to because it also includes the mono soundtrack of Jaws, and that's my go-to. That's what I want to hear. And it sounds gorgeous. It's, I mean, because it's remastered in as much as, you know, they want it to sound good. This is the same exact mix that was heard in theaters way back when. It's just clean now. But right. they took the right. same basic thing and just improved it by uh, well, enhancing the fidelity of it. I know, like, hardcore Beatles fans, like, are really into... And and I, I understand especially why with Beatles, because I work in a place where we have a sound system that plays, you know, the sound system that they play out in the front of the restaurant through the whole place. But in our kitchen, it's the left speaker. Mm -hmm. So an old Beatles song comes out and you're either only going to hear the vocals <laughs> or the instrumental. Oh, and so, shit. And so, yeah, because that, that was when they when stereo first came out, they said, hey, look, we could put the vocals over here. That You know, yeah. whatever. They had all sorts of bright ideas. But um, um, the mono mixes are highly sought after and, uh, and of a lot of music because when they made those mono mixes, they had to make everything clear. They had to make everything had to be in its place. You weren't messing around with like, you know, OK, this one's a little more over to the right. This one's over to the left and sort of building a 3D thing, which is which is great, too. But at the same time, as a pure, like, picking up what was happening, that was the best way to do it at the time. So that means, really, it's the it, you're going to get the best results from it. And I can see the day, you know, when movies become that sort of interactive experience where you slap on your headphones or your, your headset over your head or or you just wire yourself in and you live the movie, you're walking you know, you're walking through the movie and stuff and you experience it. I'll bet you when that day comes, what will be very popular is you go and you plug in and all of a sudden you're in Times Square in 1977. 
or you know 1974 and you can walk in get a ticket go and sit with an ashtray you know on the seat in front of you and watch old grindhouse movies where they project it you know a, a crummy print of it in mono and the guy next to you might be snoring or you know stuff like that and people will actually pay for the experience of seeing old stuff presented in you know in its context that's my dream anyway wow. but I'll, I'll bet you like you know you could make the full experience where you experience everything and people will put it on and then go into a movie theater and sit down and watch a 2d version of the godfather and love the hell out of it you know because yeah. it doesn't i think a lot of people thought this stuff would get old and the other generations would not would be like whatever film what and to some extent they are but the people who are the appreciators of it are haven't been like oh whatever film's old they're curious about it and, and i think people are realizing that like for old formats don't necessarily mean that they're no good formats or that they're not better they they're not valid and are exploring using the correct format and stuff rather than just being like always on the cutting edge and always not trying to get to the next thing and that might not be the best way to achieve your artistic goal i hope anyway please yeah well we should be so lucky I'm just I'm I'm babbling. I'm keeping us from the scandal part. Yeah. Now there yeah, there was a little bit of brouhaha that ended up I I I swear to think it was less than 24 hours after the thing got posted on Facebook it and and by that point I think it was sort of a news item like nationally. Mm-hmm. Basically within 24 hours, I swear to think it was something like that. Word came down the pipeline that you know, there's some controversy to, to all of this that the Team Negative One scan of Star Wars, it actually uses sources that it wasn't actually authorized to use. And what everyone seems to focus on, what everyone seems to agree was a problem is the Greedo scene because the rest of Team Negative One's scan seems like it comes from a Spanish print of the movie. And that really makes no difference because if if you know in the end you're just going to slap an English soundtrack underneath it anyway, right? It doesn't right. it doesn't matter. It wasn't a different cut, right? But when you start getting into the to the Greedo scene, the subtitles there are going to be in Spanish, and that leads into a uh, to a problem where you need a different source at this point. And the source for the Greedo scene, because the subtitles have got to be in English. The source used for that, the Team Negative One, well, team, they didn't actually have permission to use. And that ended up, hmm? It seemed like they had, they were uh, trying to be, they were trying to be like legally cryptic about it, but it seems like they, they, somebody had multiple copies of different prints. Mm -hmm. And they had one print that somebody gave them but said, Nobody can use this for anything, you know. I don't. This can't turn up on the internet, or something. And then, you know, it was it was given to Team Negative One as a reference, or something. Maybe they thought they were going to take the subtitles, and use it to sort of take out the other subtitles and maybe skip, you know, 
computer, you know, who knows what they were use it for. But for reference, they weren't supposed to use it. And it's unclear whether they knew they weren't supposed to use it or just did it anyway. But in but they used somebody's print who didn't want it like to show up at who's probably afraid that they're going to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden and when they saw that, that's probably why it only took a couple days. It was out for two days. The person, somebody downloaded it to check it out and then said, oh, my God, that's my print. And, you know, if they were doing their restoration, they knew every little dot on that print. Mm-hmm. The second they saw the Greedo scene, they were like, motherfucker, I've got, you know, I've gone over that frame by frame. That is, you know, and then they probably started. I was an OT involved in it somehow in the middle. Mm-hmm. OT has since said that like disbanded, but says it has nothing to do with this. And yeah, and they freaked out and said, you know, and all of us, they were probably somebody inside 20th Century Fox or who had access to stuff. And now all of a sudden they're not ever going to help out anybody ever again. (laughs) Yeah, because now you have people whose careers are now possibly at stake Mm -hmm. all because Mm -hmm. somebody. Oh, yeah, they're not. You know, that's the thing is it's just like, oh, this guy's just overreacting. He's not overreacting. He can get in a lot of trouble. For something like this potentially it's hard to say you know i mean a lot of times what they there there's there's becoming it's not official or legal but there's becoming a sort of acknowledged um fan film definition to where you can mess around with stuff like this and if you follow a certain criteria of you know let you putting it out as a torrent and having a million disclaimers saying don't sell this if you see someone selling it report it to you know the the authorities that's piracy you know nobody should make money in this for for you know from any different from any angle at all you know and all that and you get left alone you don't necessarily you're not necessarily safe from getting in trouble but it just seems by there's a truce. Nobody getting in trouble. There's a truce, and that's that. There's an acknowledgement of yes. There's a, and and the acknowledgement is there's a small community of people who ha- there's a big demand to see this. We're not going to go to the expense to see it if it's that important that they're going to have you know, put up a group and you know probably there was probably fundraising mo- money put into doing this and not make money off it. It's obviously a labor of love and. Yes, and probably a lot of the people sympathizing are like want to see it themselves. So and so fan films sort of seem to Star Trek fan films get picked on when a new Star Trek movie is on because they don't want anything competing or contrasting. So they'll shut down stuff when when that happens. But for the most part, there's a truce. But yeah, this this gets into the point of like it's a truce. But, yeah, somebody could get in a lot of trouble. Yeah, somebody fucking ran the risk of breaching it. And so, obviously, Chris and I, we don't... Or somebody it, got involved... Somebody was involved in it that didn't didn't want to be involved in that capacity. They were willing to, like, take their print, have somebody say, okay, you could take this print and convert it to digital and look at it, and you, you're archivist, and it's important, and now there's a digital copy of it. That's a good thing. And now I have the print and a digital copy of for posterity for free awesome yeah yeah awesome that's 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 good archiving but you know all the other people in 
involved in all the other ones know what they're doing and know that they're operating in a gray area and are doing it on purpose and that party was not they were trying not to they were trying to stay out of the gray areas and yeah and so I agree that, that they probably should have done it. I'm glad they did. I I wouldn't have been too upset to see it in Spanish. I would have gone like, oh, it's a Spanish print. I know what the dialogue is. Yeah, there, there is that. But, so well, it wouldn't take me out too much, you know. Well, you know, the thing is, you can... Sometimes there's a sort of Mexican standoff between fan and owner that, that takes place. And Which is especially, especially so in this case. Yeah, literally, yeah. And... One of the best examples I can think of is that for a long time, in the Led Zeppelin fan community, you could trade bootlegs and you could get your hands on Led Zeppelin concert videos. They were rare. There really weren't very many of them. But if you knew where to go, you could find it. You know, and this is in a, in a day and age when the internet, it was around, it existed. But it really wasn't a useful platform for disseminating videos and stuff. Yeah, especially video. Even if you wanted audio bootlegs and stuff, you would just set it on Napster and, and come back in a couple weeks <laughs> and tap all the songs. And it, it was just really tough to do. But one of the holy grails that everybody agreed upon, we want this, is... May the 24th, 1977, or sorry, 1975, May the 24th, 1975, Led Zeppelin's uh, performance at uh, Earl's Court. And it was basically, you could say Led Zeppelin pretty much at the height of their commercial success and their fame and everything. And literally, the day after this, it was going to be all downhill. But in this moment, this is, you know, Led Zeppelin unaffected by the outside world. And they're playing some of their most popular songs. This is one of the great concerts that they've ever given, you know, in terms of, you know, quality and in terms of, you know, just how long it was. I think it's like four hours or something like that. It's just, it's a long fucking concert and it's great. And the thing was, it was understood that certain people in the fan community, nobody knew for sure who. I mean, we if you know the fan community of Led Zeppelin, then you could probably make some educated guesses. But nobody was stupid enough to confirm, yes, I actually, I do have this. And, and the reason is, this is professionally shot footage at Royal Albert, uh, not Royal Albert Hall, at uh, Earl's Court. This isn't some guy standing in the audience with an, with an 8mm video camera and you're getting the shitty sound. We're talking professional grade video quality with soundboard level of audio quality. And Something that Led Zeppelin would could potentially make money off of someday right and that's at least the fear at least among some of them is that it doesn't matter if you know the the people who the only people who would want this bootleg video are the very people who are gonna or they're part of the very people who are gonna go out and buy the official version anyway that doesn't matter what right. matters is we cannot risk the the wrath of Jimmy Page's lawyers being brought down on us I mean there are only like two maybe three maybe four people in the fan community who have access to this and if this video somehow makes it into wide fan trading circles and ultimately online downloads there are only four possible well five possible sources one of which is jimmy page and we know he didn't do it so all of mm -hmm. a sudden that leaves the fans that jimmy page knows own this he knows who they are 
that leaves them in a very uncomfortable situation. I mean, there was a sort of detente between them and the lawyers that as long as you don't share this with other people and make copies of it and stuff like that, we'll let you keep it. We're not going to be an asshole and exercise our legal rights and take this away from you, which we could do. We're not going to do that. As yeah, long... but what would happen if one of their houses happened to be broken into? Hey, not my problem. <laughs> so, um, and I hope you filed a police report, brother, because we're going to be checking. So, well, that's what I would say. I would, I would, I would maybe like sell it off and be like, yeah, but that that's still that's fraud too. So, yeah, that's big risk too. And and so what we all agreed upon. Well, I say we. What they all agreed upon is this. Look, if. Against all odds, this somehow makes it into fan circles. It won't be because one of the four guys leaked it. It's not going to happen. And eventually, it did somehow leak into fan circles, and none of those four were actually guilty of it. I don't know like what machinations were going on, but but you can actually find it now. It's on YouTube, and anybody can watch it. Well, at least just because just because they knew those four people had it doesn't mean there's somebody else who doesn't have it and that's actually what i think ended up happening somebody else had a copy that anyway and it's pandora's box once it's out there it's out there somebody somebody could have been clearing out an attic somewhere and there it was the same thing sort of happened with the star wars christmas special i think it was like around 2008 2009 gonna strike a copy off the master copy of that no you know, they didn't but there is a master copy of it somebody had it because <laughs> there's a boom you know the the cherry copy that they sent to the the tv stations stations plural there's more than one master um i i don't know or actually no, no let me rephrase that there's one master there's more than one dude Okay. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't, I don't really know much of the specifics about it. All I know is in 2008 Dragon Con, all of a sudden there were people peddling them. I've never even watched the. I've only seen the crappy, you know, third generation VHS dubs, and I'd actually rather watch it that way. But I've seen screen grabs from it, and you know, it's yeah, it's a clean. Basically, you could put it on a DVD. Oh really? Oh. Like this is like a clean copy, like from a master. Yes, it's, it's it's yeah, it's beautiful. It's it's well, relatively. I mean, <laughs> it's beautiful in its in its picture technical quality. <laughs> it's high high picture quality. Um, everything, up, but that's worth it just to watch the Boba Fett cartoon in its yeah, because that's what I'd want to see in its yeah. in its nice state. But um, yeah. So st- yeah. So I mean, that's I mean this 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 whole story with. Team Negative One is very typical of the bootleg world, you know, which has been going on, which it's it's still sort of going on the same way, but it's taken on a whole new, you know, dimension with, with the internet. But it's still the same sort of general theory. The sa- it it's always applies. It goes right back to Two True Freaks number one of like, if people want something and you don't give it to them eventually they'll just go get they just will get it you know (laughs) they'll get what they want if they want it and if if there's a demand for something and you have it you know if if you you can't just hold on to it and not expect people to like if they don't take it from you they'll find it somewhere else and 
and it happens you know there's a demand it's just like drugs <laughs> yeah pretty much it's a black market and the demand for drugs so if you don't you know if if drugs you can't go to the drugstore and buy them somebody will be in the alley selling them and uh i'm um pretty confident that bootlegs are a lot less harmful <laughs> say than crack but they can be similarly addictive i'm sure and they probably have cost some people their fortunes. Well, I think all of this is a sort of a long way of saying that for as awesome as the Team Negative One Star Wars scan is, and it is awesome, I really wouldn't hold your breath about their about ever seeing the Team Negative One Empire and Jedi just because of how many people were alienated as a result of this. Yeah. I, maybe it's possible. I don't know. But I, I, well, that's why I think Harmy's staying like doing the like totally legit thing because he's like trying to put he's hoping that like because the thing is there's a lot there, there's got to be a lot of prints of Star Wars out there in some capacity you know either by 20th Century Fox or something there's got to be a variety of them there's already been proven there's enough of them to make a good you could workable workably do a good restoration of it I, I think they're thinking at some time you know, Disney will go ahead and be like, okay, we'll do it. And they'll either pretend that they're going to do it and they'll, they'll pay the fans who did it and then release it, you know, and cut them in, or they'll just do it all from scratch from another print or whatever. I don't care. I don't care what print they use and who they use to do it. I just hope they do. I hope they do as good a job as, as Team Negative did, and that, and I would be happy, but I can't imagine how it's not going to happen eventually. About uh, uh, how it won't like be acknowledged that that will be something that could be that would be worth doing, worth going to the expense, even to the point of where it would be even better now because if if two or three of these guys do it, you could pick the the people who did it the most ethically i guess or who did the best job and did it the most ethically and save a lot of money by just you know paying them for the rights to it or whatever and all of a sudden they're they're happy to make any money because they planned on getting nothing so they get a percentage of the sales and maybe a flat fee or something like that disney doesn't have to go to the expense of uh you know, I'm sure Disney will have their experts come and give it the eyeball and say, yeah, I don't know, they did a good job or whatever, or it needs a little tweak here and there. But eventually I have to think that, that, that they're just going to acknowledge it and, and, and respond to... Disney's pretty good about responding to demand eventually, you know, picking up on it. Um, maybe, it, you know, not perfect as with Ray Toys with um, and the demand for Ray stuff after... Force Awakens, but I, you know, there's a there's a part of me that thinks maybe that might have been on purpose, because it's always good to have a little shortage of of something, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. to to create a stir and a demand and a buzz and and uh, it, you know, come 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 in for the first wave of toys and then come in for the second wave of stuff that we didn't know to put out in the first wave. It, it, it might just be smart marketing. Well, and the other thing to keep in mind is uh, Disney is headed by people who 
I, I know it's it's sometimes kind of trendy to to lampoon and bash these people, but the fact is, it, it it's headed by people who are good at what they do. Yeah. End of the day, and you don't get to be where Disney is by running your business like an idiot. Right. They know well. damn good and well what the demand for this stuff is, and the only reason I can think of at this point for them not doing it, there's got to be some kind of legal thing that's preventing them from doing it. Otherwise, th- what better tie-in could there have possibly been to The Force Awakens, considering and, that it was geared toward the original trilogy fan? Well, what? I also I also think with stuff like this, that they also, you know, if there's a big response to stuff, instead of going, all right, all right, we'll do it, we'll do it, it's better to just do it and put it out and have people go like, yeah, there it is, you know. So, I don't know if there'd be a lot of big fanfare until until they actually did it. But I mean, there was that that time period where Disney didn't know what the hell they were doing, and it. I I can't pin the dates, but you know, in the there was a time period in the '90s where they were sort of floundering and their business was all screwed up. Yeah. And then and when they corrected that, and but before that. When they were successful, they were had this um, sort of tyrannical as a business model. People were scared of Disney, and people still are a little bit like on the you know people were scared to rip off Disney because they had the lawyers, and they would protect their they protected their copyright. They will bust your balls. Oh my god! Like back then, they 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 still they still will, but back then it was over anything you could be right or wrong if if you were just if you tipped your toe into disneyland you were you were taking a risk and and then they sort of started floundering not knowing what they were doing and then they corrected and when they corrected they did not mess around they 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 corrected their their you know they looked at their the way people looked at them and said we're Disney. We're Mickey Mouse. We don't want to be looked at as, you know, as Darth the enemy. Vader. Right, exactly. <laughs> Which is ironic because yes. they ended up owning Darth Vader. But they 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 truly corrected it. They stopped. They 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 backed off and they were more reasonable and picked their bat picked their battles instead of just like boom, blowing out a wide swath. And it were and you know that with their their directions and and decisions that they made, it's just been uphill since then. And uh, so I'm I'm way more optimistic with anything like that happening with Disney than I would be with Lucasfilm. And Disney also also could absorb the cost of a restoration better than Lucasfilm could ever could. You know, they're just so much huger and. You know they have they have the facilities in house to do anything they have to do with a 35 millimeter print of uh, of Star Wars. You know they don't they, they won't they wouldn't have to set up a whole infrastructure to do it. But uh, I'll say this: if they don't, it, it's already been done, and other people will probably do it again in the future. So. Either way, 
I'm gonna see it. <laughs> well, that's and that's pretty much you know really what I had to say about all of this. Now, do you have any parting shots or anything else you want to toss out there? No, Disney. If you make it, I'll buy it too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will too. But for right now, yeah. it's nice to know. Not that Chris and I, not that either of us have downloaded this, but nevertheless, it is nice to know that it's out there for those willing to take the legal risk. So. Oh, I don't have to have it. It's just reassuring to know it's there. Indeed. All right, well, uh, that's pretty much it for me this week. So bye, everybody. I will see you on Tuesday. Take care. Good evening.